So the time of deeds and the time of spiritual knowledge, the past and future of Gnosis and Sainthood in Ibn al-Arabis, Kitab al in particular. In his book of the unveiling of traveling effects, or alternatively, the revelation of the fruits of the holy books, Ibn Arabi refers to those who are guided to travel in God, or more literally, those who are made to travel in Him. That is to say, those who don't travel by their own means, efforts, and faculties, but by the grace of divine providence. The author says that these who are made to travel in Him are the messengers, the prophets, and the chosen among those close to God, the awliya, such as the verifiers of reality and haqibun, among the Sufi masters, like Sahl bin Abdullah Tustari, al-Bistami, Farqab al-Sabahi, al-Junaid, al-Hassan al-Basri, as well as others whose celebrity has survived up to the present day. End of quotation. Now, the predominance in the past of good deeds and the predominance of knowledge for the future. After this mention of his predecessors in the way, Ibn Arabi introduces within the historical and eschatological background of a spiritual imaginal history, a reflection on the inversely proportional relationship in the Islamic era between deeds and agnosis, between doing and knowing which constitutes a point of departure for a possible consideration of the present and the future of mysticism and agnosis. He says, in any case, since the dwelling of the hereafter is nearer, this time of our present days is not the same as the time of the past. The unveiling, cash, these days extends and multiplies among those who are gifted with this faculty and the glimmers of light have begun to shine and show themselves clearly and profusely, so that the people of our times have access to unveiling more rapidly, and, uh, and likewise, they enjoy a greater capacity for inner contemplation, shuhud, and more abundant direct knowledge, ma'arifa, as well as a more perfect understanding of the sublime realities, haqaiq. In contrast, these, or ritual works if we prefer, are less numerous than the deeds of those who live in times past, as Samana Mutakati. Although this affirmation could be extended to all the past, I understand that the author refers here in particular to the Islamic cycle, and therefore to the first part of the Islamic era, especially in its beginning. Which would be, sorry, which would last until his own time, after which there would be, it is understood, a subsequent time until the end of the era. He continues saying, with relation to the spiritual people of the past, those realize more deeds but receive less spiritual openings and unveilings than we have in our era, given that they were farther removed from the arrival of the other life in the hereafter. One must accept, nevertheless, the time of the companions of the Prophet, because the few among those companions who had been enlightened had all of this, that is to say, unveiling wisdom and spiritual knowledge. Since they were rewarded with the vision of the Prophet, may God bless him, and with the closeness of the angelic spirits, 
who with each new grief descended on him. Among them there were Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Omar ibn al-Khattab, Ali ibn Abi Talib, may God be satisfied with them, and their kind's kinsmen. In the past then, deeds and practices predominated, just as at the present day, science has become predominant. And its predominance will not stop growing incrementally until the second coming of Jesus. May peace be with him. And this, until that point, well, only one prayer realized today by ourselves is equivalent to all the acts, the acts of adoration of a person from the past during the whole of his life. In this regard, the Prophet, may God bless him, addressing himself to his contemporaries, said, Whoever among them, the people at the immediacy of the eschatological end, will act doing good works at that time, will receive a reward equivalent to that of 50 men who realize deeds such as yours. What an excellent expression with such subtle allusion. And end of quote. Hence the assertion of Ibn Arabi is emphatic. Of course, in, this, in the text, the word to act refers mainly to acts of adoration, just as to know refers mainly to mystical knowledge. The writer could have simply said that as the execution of deeds becomes more difficult, then they would also have more value. Nevertheless, he has preferred to put a raka on the same level as an entire life of prayer. If the author considers that the later was already thus in his lifetime, we wonder what the situation would be eight centuries afterwards. In any case, this equivalence has to be understood in the light of the doctrine of accumulative knowledge, as we shall uh, uh, see below. The text also raises this question. What has been the critical point between the predominance of deeds and the predominance of knowledge? Perhaps the answer could be that Ibn Arabi himself, as the full moon of Muhammadian sainthood, closes a pre-Akbarian Islamic cycle and inaugurates a second post-Akbarian one, which would correspond symbolically to the warning moon and would conclude with the arrival of the hour. Now, the imminence of the hour and the display of the properties of the intermediate world of imagination. The text of the Kitab al-Isfar carries on saying, This, we have explained, is due to the fact that the end of time approaches, that is to say, its consummation, the hour which closes the cycle, and is due to the manifestation of the law which rules the intermediary world, Hok Malbarsah. The Sheikh then cites fragments of two prophetic traditions, two hadith, mentioned by the Prophet relative to some of the signs of the advent of the hour. This refers, for example, to a tree endowed with a speech. The author asks himself, this will occur in this world. Will it not be produced perhaps because of the effect of the manifestation of the dwelling of the hereafter, which is the dwelling of animation at Dar al-Hayawan? The matter being dealt with here is the imaginal world. 
the domain of active, autonomous imagination and subsistent enduring images. In this intermediary dimension, analogous to the experience of dreams, the intelligible unites with the sensible, the spiritual with the corporeal. It is the dimension with the, where the visions and the phenomena beyond the tomb, which eschatology describes, take place. In the secular world, the manifestation of the properties of this spiritual plane of the subtle bodies, where all beings are indefinite, animated, and the spatial and temporal dimensions are not lineal, will increase in line with the imminence of the arrival of the hour. This realm of the land of reality, the imaginal world, constitutes the key for understanding the sense of time among the Sufis, and in particular among those connected to their parent heritage. Now the distribution of accumulative knowledge and the overflowing radiation of the belated saints. We now turn our attention to a final paragraph relative to the distribution of knowledge among the Gnostics of the same period. In times of greater general dispersion and destruction of people, so, uh, more knowledge accumulates and preserves the Gnostic. Ibn Arabi says, Knowledge, in this case he uses ilm, knowledge which is at the same time unique and diffuse, required carriers, depositaries of knowledge who actualize it, preserve it and transmit it. When the number of its carriers grows, due to the proliferation of the just and virtuous fulfillment of duties among people of a specific era, since here we are dealing specifically with knowledge peculiar to the just, Aymar Salihim, Knowledge is distributed among them, Husima alayhim. Knowledge is distributed among them. This is the reason why it didn't abound among those who preceded us. Moreover, he who had some knowledge did not leave it to be manifested openly, since he had a complete dominion on it, of it. On the contrary, when the bearers or depositaries of knowledge, those who are capable to take responsibility for it, are few in number, because of the widespread proliferation of corruption among the common people, the just man, by contrast, receives it in greater abundance, since he takes charge of that part of knowledge that would correspond to each inattentive man, and of which he, the just man, is the heir. The heir sorry. And it is for this reason that knowledge the spiritual opening and the unveiling are more abundant among those who belong to the later eras. When some among them possess part of the knowledge, it becomes manifest, since because of its profusion it overflows. May glory be to him who gives to all. Thus ends the translation of the passage. That which now interests us more about this self seems to exemplify this overflowing profusion of knowledge. I understand from this that the overflowing which forces the mystic to demonstrate and diffuse his knowledge would not be considered at all an imprudence or a reprehensible or inadvisable lack of control in an era in which, precisely because of the obscurity of ignorance and the general destruction of people, the Gnostic remains and disposes of no more knowledge and his diffusion becomes more necessary. 
the overflowing character of knowledge would not then imply a weakness on the part of the Gnostic, but rather it would attune itself with the, deeds, with the needs of those times. We can deduce, assuming we are historically and spiritually in the same cycle as Ibn Arabi deals with, that in our days there would be, according to the Master, fewer just people than in the past, but with a greater proportion of accumulated knowledge, and therefore with a greater responsibility with respect to the Amana or Divine Trust. According to Ibn Arabi's doctrine of sainthood, the number of representatives of the invisible hierarchy composed by the axis of time, the four poles, or the seven substitutes among other layers necessarily remains constant in a continuing succession. Since, for example, if the axis were to disappear, the known world would not be able to sustain itself, since the trust has to be preserved until the end of chronological time. That it is that, in principle, the reduction can only be in the number of holy men who do not perform functions in the cosmic order within the ambit of the invisible hierarchy. At the end of the cycle, when God openly shows himself on the judgment day in the grid beyond, the chronological restrictions and the cycle of existence disappear and the epiphany reveals itself. Only then does qualitative spiritual time act as substitute. After commenting Ibn Arabi's text on the predominance of deeds and of knowledge in the hemicycles of the Islamic era, I shall refer briefly to some notions of the author, of the author about Muhammadian sainthood. Yes. In his dignity as seal of the prophets, Muhammad ends this, the historic cycle of prophecy. Nevertheless, by crowning the unfolding of the prophetic message, he will not close, but rather, on the contrary, will inaugurate the Muhammadian cycle, in which the fullness of the Walaya Muhammadiyah, the realization of sainthood specific to the spiritual heirs of the envoy, has to be manifested. Whether it be in its primordial reality prior to Adam, Adam, Adamic reality, as the Muhammadian light, or whether it be in the temporal manifestation of his historic actualization, Muhammad is the envoy on whom the Creator has bestow, bestowed the comprehensive words. That is to say, the synthesis which integrates, verifies, and actualizes the totality of the successive prophetic messages which in the historical cycle has preceded. Thus, then, the Prophet Muhammad closes the solar cycle of legisla uh, legislative prophetic revelation and opens a new lunar cycle. In this later cycle, Muhammadian inclusive spirituality has to manifest itself among God's friends. This do does not imply that other forms of spiritual inheritance, such as Davidic, Mosaic, Christian, Marian, etc., do not continue to manifest in that same cycle. Well, then, according to the testimony of the Master himself and his followers, Muhammad in Arabi, known as you know as Mohiddin, the leavener of faith, occupies in the realm of sainthood, walaya, and with relation to its diverse typologies, an axial position, an axial position analogous to that which Muhammad occupies among the envoys in the realm of prophecy. As it is now well known, Ibn Arabi proclaims himself, although he does it with a certain description, the seal of Muhammadian sainthood. This condition constitutes the singularity of the function of the Andalusian master prime heir uh, and interpreter par excellence of the Muhammadian spirituality. There would be, 
a before in Arabic and an after him in the Muhammadian cycle. But the Sheikh Al-Akbar, supreme master of the two horizons, on culminating the full moon of Muhammadian sainthood, will not close the cycle, but rather will inaugurate the phase of the effects and repercussion of his teaching. In the terms of the Akbarian symbolism, it seems befitting to speak then of a first growing phase and a second warning phase in Muhammadian sainthood. Thus the growth phase would correspond to the perfecting of agnosis, which would culminate with the perfect harmony of knowledge and its accomplishment, actualized by Ibn Arabi himself, and the warning phase would correspond to a progressive reduction in the capacity for deeds, which would reduce, in the majority of people, the possibilities to actualize the potentiality of spiritual knowledge reserved for some few people. Shall we deduce for the, from the text that the period of Ibn Arabi's teaching, by analogy to that of the Prophet, would itself have been an exceptional time which would have allowed a perfect or at least privileged conjunction of deeds and knowledge in his spiritual environment? Final consideration on the future of mysticism, from his point of view. If we think of the Uliya, the close friends of God, and of the advanced future, perhaps in the second hemicycle of the Christian or the Muhammadian era, we see that, according to the spiritual and eschatological foresight of Ibn Arabi for foreseeable time, be it lineal or circular, the future of mysticism will be a period with few of those Gnostics, a fact which would not affect the necessary permanence of those who hold cosmic functions, and with a great accumulated knowledge which, because of its overflowing profusion, tends to reveal itself, to manifest itself openly. Now we have to choose something to end with, since I have no more time. In case we think of the future of mysticism in Aquarian terms of qualitative interwoven time, we may consider that each instant will be that which corresponds to it according to the divine order and will be in consonance with the framework of the times in which past, present and future appear as a unique present of divine knowledge and love. According to the doctrine of Abu Hamid al-Ghazali or Ibn Arabi, this present world is necessarily the best of the possible worlds, since God, in his infinite generosity, would not have deprived his creation of another better possibility. God gives to each thing that which corresponds to it, each being occupies in the universal order the pledge appropriate to it. It is in this precise place, at the right instant, and in the opportune mode. This existential optimism, which is not a reductive fatalism, implies that in the final analysis, whatever may be the future of mysticism in the modern megalopolis, this will be exactly, from the point of view of Sufi metaphysics, that which has to be for all eternity, or, if you allow me the expression, for the entire present. As the image suggests, the wind blows where it will. Whether, wherever there may be a Gnostic, there is the present of mysticism, which from a secular perspective, never has had a future.